Hey there, welcome to Switching Majors. I'm your host, Mary Ellen Pesanello, and this is episode five. What the hell is networking? Hey guys, what's up, what's up? My name is Mary Ellen. Welcome to Switching Majors. You know the drill. Thank you so much for coming back to episode five of this podcast where we're going to deep dive into what networking is and some tactics to help you along. I'm really happy that you guys made it through episode four where we discussed our resumes. It was a long one, but I think there was a lot of good information in there. And now that your resume is totally done, you have that one piece of paper that you need that will get you a meeting, a contact, in the door, and one step closer to landing a job, not just when you're starting out, but in all stages of your career. So I just want to give a brief overview of what networking is, and it's a very general term, and it references just making connections within your industry or not within your industry. You could be networking with someone because you're thinking about starting a business or changing careers, but we use the umbrella terminology of networking to describe just making connections that will benefit you in the long run, no matter what you want to do professionally. And I found when I was in undergrad and in your positions that I would go to my career service offices, I would talk to people that I would intern with, and they would just give me this broad stroke advice of, go network. And I would be like, okay, cool, how the fuck do I do that? And that's not actually a question that you can ask anybody because I think a lot of the times people don't think about a sequential step-by-step process that you could follow to do something as broad strokes as networking. Well, I've given it a go. So students are either intimidated by networking because they don't know how to do it Or some students think that they know how to network, but they absolutely the fuck do not. And the best networking advice that I ever heard was from one of my professors at NYU, Professor Paul Hadart, who taught me my media and entertainment industries course. He said that if you are naturally and authentically curious about people, you will never come off as fake and people will always want to talk to you. The other thing that I want to add about networking before we get into it is that it is circular. A lot of young people think that they have to network up. And in part, that is true because when you are starting out, you can only go up. However, networking up seems to be a habit that people stick with because it's the first tactic that they learn. Once you are two, three, four years out of college, you should be networking in a circular motion. So that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I don't need to tell myself any of this information. I clearly know enough about my career to make a goddamn podcast out of it. But what I'm trying to do is to connect to an audience that's 10 years my junior and try to impart some condensed and formalized knowledge onto y'all so that you know what to do in the future. This podcast is an example of me circular networking and networking down at the same time as networking up. 
So when networking is something so ambiguous that a lot of people have trouble describing it, it's a tough place to start. But what I'm going to start with is the bread and butter of what I think networking is, the most logical starting point of networking, and that is the informational interview. When you are in college, fresh out of college, and at a junior level of experience, you can go to people and request informational interviews, which are meetings that you just go to to try and gain an understanding of what that person does, who that person is, and try to, you know, expunge them for their experience. This is not an interview interview. This is a meeting that you are requesting, that you are running, and that you need to do a lot of homework for before you enter into it. So let's say, for example, that you want to get on the calendar of someone that has more experience than you, that is more established in a company. So if you all wanted to do an informational interview with me, you might know me or you might not know me. So if you don't know me, that means that you are sending a cold email or LinkedIn message to me. When you do cold messages, you need to make sure that your intentions are clear. Your subject line should be very concise. It should be something along the lines of informational interview request, time to chat, question mark, time to connect, question mark. And then what you do is you have to introduce yourself, give context as to why you are reaching out to that person, and then concluding along the lines of, please let me know if you'd be open to continuing this conversation further. I find that when I am cold emailing, I want it to be a little bit ambiguous because I feel like if I were to send an email to someone that I didn't know... And to say, hey, I want to meet with you. How's next Thursday at 4 o'clock? That's a little bit aggressive. So by dipping your toe in the water in a clear and concise way of this is who I am. I want to talk to you because would you be open to it is a much better way of broaching the idea of having a meeting with someone that you don't know. Of course, another thing to keep in mind when you don't know a person and you are relatively a stranger is success rate. Guys and girls, I want you to think about your dating apps right now. How many times have you swiped right on Bumble and actually gotten a match? 10%? 5%? Have you crunched the numbers? The reason that I bring up this analogy is because you can send a pure email with good intentions to 100 people and maybe only one will respond. So if you do not have a connection to this person that you are trying to book a meeting with, it's going to be kind of hard. However, that doesn't mean that it's impossible and you should keep at it because you also are listening to someone who when an email is constructed appropriately, I do take meetings off of LinkedIn and I do take meetings off of a random email because I was in your position once too and I don't want to be a dick. So the likelihood of you coming across that person might be slim, but it's still a chance. 
Of course, the way around trying to connect with someone who you don't know personally is to ask a mutual connection for an introduction. There are pros and there are cons to this. On the one hand, this puts work onto a third party that will not be in the meeting directly. That could be a pro if the person has follow through and really cares about your future. It could be a con because people are flaky. So if you do include a third party as someone to put you in contact with the person you want to meet with, a couple things need to happen. So if you were to say to me, hey, Mary Ellen, can you connect me with John? I would have to write to John on the side and say, hey, John, I have this person that wants to have a meeting with you and just connect and network. Would it be okay if I, one, gave your email or two, made an introduction? So if John says yes, which nine times out of 10, someone's always going to say yes. But if you're that third party person making the connection, you need to cover your own ass and always send that courtesy request to share someone else's information. So when John says yes, because John knows me and trusts me, then either I'm going to give you John's email directly and you're going to email him and say, hey, I got your email from Mary Ellen. I want to set up time on your calendar to have an informational interview. Or what's going to happen is I, Mary Ellen, am going to write an email and say, hey, John, CC'd here is this person who wants to connect with you. I just wanted to make an email introduction. I hope you guys find time soon. Because you are the person requesting the meeting, the second that that email comes through, you better hop on your shit and write back, hey, Mary Ellen, thanks so much for the introduction. Moving you to BCC to spare your inbox. Moving that person who made the introduction to BCC acknowledges that you are about to start scheduling a meeting that they are not going to be in. They have served their purpose and now you are removing them from the conversation respectfully. That is some I have been working corporately for a while move and a move like that although subtle is going to show the entire email chain that you are a professional. After you acknowledge that you're moving me to BCC, you continue your correspondence with the John as if I'm not even on the email. So you write about how you want to meet with him, you write about your availability over the next couple weeks, and you request some time on his calendar. The last way you use another person as an introduction is if you all have the same at email address. And what I mean by this is we're all at discovery.com, at cbsinteractive.com. Our similar email addresses are like the first wave of defense. Because we all work for the company, we all know that we're not some rando off the street. So typically what I'll have my interns do, depending on the person, is I'll say, hey, my friend Hope works in product development and she's really chill. Just email her and tell her that I said to get in touch. However, if maybe that person is higher up, like a VP, an SVP, or maybe reports directly into the CEO, then I take the liberty of setting up that networking call on behalf of my intern. 
Of course, if you are already at the company and you don't have anybody to introduce you to the person that you want to talk to, go ahead and email them. That's what the directory is for. But you do want to tread lightly when it comes to ranking and hierarchy at a company. So typically, if you want to talk to somebody who's at the managerial or director level, then they probably are a little bit more open, have more flexibility and more time on their calendars. If you are trying to talk to somebody who reports directly into the CEO, not only are they going to have a jam-packed schedule and probably not be able to fit you in, but if you also don't know who their executive assistant is and CC that person on that email as well, they probably will miss your email. When you're scheduling with people that high, you need to include the person who manages their calendar. Okay, so now you have someone who is willing to take the time to meet with you and they have agreed in one way or another to sit down and talk. That's awesome. That's a huge accomplishment in itself. And, you know, give gratitude for the small wins because that's awesome. But just because you have someone willing to speak to you doesn't mean the work is over. And you're going to have to take charge of scheduling and running the meeting that you've requested. So you're gonna wanna typically assume that someone only has 30 minutes to give to you unless they say otherwise or you request otherwise. And then once you do solidify a day and time, you're going to offer to be the one to send the calendar appointment. The only reason that you would not do this is if someone does have a designated executive assistant to send calendar invites for them. However, if you're requesting the meeting and someone's like middle management and doesn't have an assistant, then you send the appointment or at least offer to. Make the subject line of that calendar appointment very clear. Make it your name first so that when it shows up on my calendar, I remember who I'm talking to, and then their name, followed by a generic one-on-one or catch-up or introduction. Then we get into a weird thing given the global pandemic, which is the location of the meeting. I would love to advise you guys about in-person informationals, but it's kind of like a moot point right now because no one's meeting in person. If you were meeting in person, you would decide if you're going to their office or not, a neutral place like a coffee shop. You would have to allocate time to get there in advance, be early, check in, and then, you know, get yourself there. So digital networking is a ton easier, especially not just because of the pandemic, but just in a time commitment in general. So if you have the opportunity to send someone a Zoom, do it. Having any type of video meeting is going to put a name to a face and enforce that personal connection that you're trying to make with the person that you're talking to. Of course, this means making yourself camera presentable, being sensitive to background images, and making sure that you're in a quiet place where you can focus on your video meeting. If you don't have access to Zoom or to a video conferencing service, then we're going to go to phone call. In the location of the meeting invite, you're just going to say who is calling who followed by the number. So if I'm having an informational meeting with my friend Dorothy, I would put in the calendar appointment Mary Ellen to call Dorothy at insert Dorothy's cell number here. But if you don't have that person's cell phone number, if it wasn't provided in the email signature or not, you're just going to flip that and say, 
Dorothy to call Mary Ellen at 201 whatever. Another thing that I advise with these calendar appointments is to attach your resume and any pertinent documentation that you might need for a meeting in the appointment. This is just one of those other like baller moves. Why would you waste someone's time of them having to search through their email to get your resume up in front of them when you could just do them the favor and yourself the favor of attaching it to the calendar appointment and showing that you know how to run your shit? Finally, it's on you to manage your own calendar and to keep people accountable for the meetings that you want them to attend. So 24 hours in advance, you're going to reach out and say, hey, Dorothy, are we still on for tomorrow at 11 a.m.? If not, let me know and we can reschedule. I know that some of these tips and some of this instruction might seem really obvious to you guys and maybe even does it really matter? But one, it's not that obvious because not a lot of people do this stuff. And two, if you do take these tips to heart, this is what's going to separate you from everybody else trying to get time with this person and inevitably a job with this person. So now it's very close to your meeting and either the day before or in the hours leading up to your meeting, you're going to want to make sure that you are connected with this person on LinkedIn prior to actually getting on the phone with them. I've said in previous episodes that if I have a meeting or an interview with someone and I see within a relevant time frame that they looked me up on LinkedIn, I consider that someone doing their homework, not being a creep. Then when you finally get onto the phone or the Zoom with someone, you want to exchange those pleasantries and you want to do so in a way that nods to you doing your homework. So, hey Dorothy, how are you? I saw this recent article about you or your company. That must be really exciting. Hey Dorothy, I saw on LinkedIn that you got a new job or recently graduated from something. Congratulations. And that is a way of saying, hey, I care about you and I care about what we're going to discuss, but I'm also a decent enough person to acknowledge that you are a person in return. A tactic like this will work even if you don't have something super specific. I hope you're having a great new year. Wow, weather's really changing over to spring. Legit anything to show them that you're a fucking human being would be great. Thanks so much. But once those pleasantries are over, you're in charge of jumping in because this is your meeting and you're the one that requested the time. I have informational interviews with a lot of students who are just like, okay, I got on the phone with you. And then they're silent. And that's not great. You guys requested this. So what you're going to do is you're going to jump right in and you're going to say something along the lines of, hey, Dorothy, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I know how busy you are. So I've prepared some questions. Do you mind if I jump right in? By saying this or something along these lines, you are saying, I know my shit. I don't want to waste your time. And then Also, it's taking any pressure off of the person that you're talking to because then they can be like, oh, okay, great. They do have questions for me. But I'll give you a preliminary hint. None of the questions that you're about to ask are going to be, so are you hiring? Before I introduce your default go-to questions, let's take a step back and remember why people help other people. 
People will help you if they are invested in you. People will help you if they see some similarities in you. And people will help you if they like you. And no one is going to like you if the first words out of your mouth are, can I get a job? So you've just asked Dorothy if you can ask her some questions and she's going to say, yeah, yeah, ask away because she knows what this meeting is just as much as you do. And that's when you say, oh, great, awesome. And would you mind if I take some notes? So this might seem like a stupid thing to say if you're like on a phone call with someone, but this is just a example of these little lines of respect that we have been sprinkling in throughout requesting this meeting and now having this meeting. So if you are in person with somebody, I advise a notebook and a pen. If you are on a camera with someone, I also advise a notebook and a pen. I think that the act of handwriting is a different move in the frame of the camera and people are going to be like oh look at him writing this down they're so intent on listening to what I have to say now if you're on a phone call with someone of course no one's going to know that you might be using your computer to take notes but I do want to advise about the sound of clicking on a computer that can be very very distracting So now we've actually come to the point of asking the questions and you might have some lined up and if you do have specific questions, go forth, do your thing, make them great, I believe in you. But if you're anything like how I was when I was an undergrad, I didn't know where to begin and I honestly was just striving to make conversation with this person who I was very nervous to speak to anyway. So if you don't have questions, I have come up with what I call my three golden nuggets of informational interviews when you are in your young 20s. And just before I say them out loud, I want you to note two things. One, if a question comes up while a person is talking, like something about their experience, maybe you don't understand an acronym that they said, Write that down in your notes and save it for later. We're doing this because we don't want to interrupt their train of thought. We only have about 30 minutes. And if it is something like an acronym, y'all know how to Google. You can Google it yourself. And then the second point is that meetings, interviews, baby first dates, they are all perceived to go better by the person within that meeting who does the most talking. So when you try to not interrupt someone, they think it's going spectacularly. So now to these key questions. If you really don't know what to ask someone, these are generic enough that you can ask them of anyone. And also nine times out of 10, these fill 30 minutes perfectly. Question number one. From college to the job you have now, what was your journey, your path, and what did you do in between? So what we're asking here is basically like episode two of this podcast. I graduated NYU, then I went to AMC, then I went here, then I went there. That takes people a while to answer. And also, I always found that that was a really beneficial answer to get because it consistently shows that career paths are not lateral. They move all over, ebb and flow, and people can change their minds and experiences whenever they want to. 
Question number two, what's your day-to-day? What are your responsibilities, your projects? Are you internal or external facing? And of course, like, yeah, the what's your day-to-day is like a very standard question. And I think that when people hear what's your day-to-day, they like kind of go blank because it's it's such a abused question. But that's why we say, yeah, so what are your responsibilities? What do you do in the department? What projects are you working on now? We're just rephrasing the your day-to-day question. And we're also making it more personal. And then finally, this is the question that I've had executives just be like, hot damn. That's a great damn question. And it is, if you could talk to yourself at 22, what advice would you give yourself and why? So what you're doing here is you are openly admitting to these people how young you are. And usually what happens as people age is they forget what it's like to be that young and being that young seems so far away. What you're doing by asking this question is not only are you admitting your age, but you're admitting that you're just starting out and that you know nothing. And that shows guts. And that really impresses people. And for whatever reason, I've gotten more compliments about that question than any of the others that I've ever asked. Do not sound robotic when you ask these. Please make them conversational. While these are the skeletons of the questions you want to be asking, please put your own flair onto them. And then remember that you only have 30 minutes in this meeting. Remember, when you are the person running a meeting, and especially when you are the person on the receiving end of a favor that someone else is doing for you, you want to be sensitive to their time because time is so precious. So it is your job to run this meeting while keeping time at the forefront of your mind. And a great way to do this is to offer time checks through the meeting. So in between the first and second question or the second and third question, it would be a great segue to be like, awesome, love that answer. That was really informative. Just letting you know we have 15 minutes left and then you segue into the question that you're about to ask. Someone might tell you like, oh, I have all the time in the world or, oh, I don't have a meeting after this so we can run a little over. That is all well and good, but it is not an invitation for you to just run your mouth. Just because someone can go a little bit over, that means a 30-minute meeting could be a 35-minute meeting or a 40-minute meeting. 45 is pushing it. Wrap it up. So if you don't have the permission to have the meeting run a little bit over, around the 28-ish minute mark is when you have the permission to kind of politely interrupt. And you can politely interrupt because you are doing so for the benefit of the person that you're having the meeting with. So I would say something like, wow, Dorothy, everything that you've said and everything that we've discussed has given me so much to think about, but I really want to be sensitive to your time. I cannot tell you how I still use that phraseology in literally every meeting I have. I want to be sensitive to your time. It doesn't matter if you keep a meeting to 30 minutes. 
it matters more that they know that you are trying to keep a meeting to 30 minutes. So I advise that you work this type of phrase into your vocabulary professionally. So you're going to say, I want to be sensitive to your time. Would it be okay if we took the rest of this to email? Can I use email to follow up with any additional questions? Would it be all right if I emailed you again soon to continue this discussion? And all of that is going to get received with a, yeah, totally, that sounds great. Because basically you're getting them off the phone and you're letting them go. Be thankful as you're ending your phone call, but more importantly, we are going to show gratitude for the time that someone just devoted to us with a proper thank you note. I want to say that in the digital age, email is the most appropriate way to send thank you notes. However, I would sometimes send handwritten thank you notes if it was a person who I worked with at the same office building and I would be able to like sneak it onto their desk before or after work. But, you know, COVID problems, so we can't do that anymore. But you're going to want to acknowledge that someone gave you the gift of their time. When young people, interns, recent graduates say to me, but I wrote a thank you note, for whatever reason, like, y'all expect us to say thank you to the thank you note or, like, for us to keep the conversation going. If you were at a birthday party and you got a gift from someone and you wrote them a thank you note in the mail, would you expect them to send you a thank you note for the thank you note in the mail? No. So when you write your thank you notes, you really should not expect to hear back from these people unless you give them a clear action item within the note. You need to give people a reason to respond to you. You need to give them something to do. So we have a secret fourth question that we purposely do not ask during the meeting itself. And that question is, is there anyone else that you recommend I speak to and would you be willing to put me in touch with them? So a thank you note would get crafted like this. Hey, Dorothy, you know, thank you so much for taking the time the other day. I really enjoyed our conversation. You are so insightful and gave me a lot to think about. Is there anyone else, a colleague or a friend of yours that you might recommend that I speak to as well? Would you be able to make an introduction? And what this does is it not only gives this person something actionable to do, but if that person does not reply immediately or within the days to follow, then it gives you all the more reason to follow back up with them in a week to two weeks to, you know, continue the networking and continue the dialogue. Some other questions could be something that you wrote down in your notebook. Remember, we're Googling what we can first. But also, I remember when I had started at AMC and I was really, really interested in content development and scripts and and production. And I spoke with the head of 
our AMC content division. And I said to him, is there anything that you recommend I work on? Or is there anything that I can work on for you? And I think at the time I said to him, you know, could I write you coverage of a script? And he thought that it was so impressive that I wanted to show him what I was capable of. I was taking the networking to the next level. I was volunteering my skill set outside of my day-to-day role. And I was willing to do something for him for free just to prove to him that I was someone you could take a chance on. So this could also come in the form of scheduling an event with someone or completing a project for someone. One of the best mentors I have at Discovery right now is John Steinloff, who's our our U.S. head of advertising sales, and he is such a great leader. But I don't work in advertising sales. I haven't even been close to ad sales in quite a while. But the way that I started networking with him was for not my own benefit. First, I invited him to speak on a panel where the UCLA Business School came to visit Discovery. Then after he saw that I put together the panel, he said, hey, Mary Ellen, Cornell undergrad is coming to hear a presentation from me. Would you be willing to help me organize this event? So not only was I able to help those younger than me, but in turn, I was able to show someone senior at my company how I work, how I conduct myself, and what type of results I drive as an employee. And from there, you know, especially with senior managers, a way that I network with them is I say, hey, senior person in position of power, my intern is going to be around this semester and I would love it if you could conduct an informational interview with them. So I purposely interject myself as the third party to show, hey, I'm good with my job. I'm good with my career. My form of networking is helping people below me. And I do believe that that is something that people recognize, Um, maybe if not immediately, definitely down the road. By now, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, Mary Ellen, like I scheduled the meeting. I did the meeting. I sent my thank you note. I still need a goddamn job. Yes, I hear you. And now is the time to capitalize on it because you've built this relationship and you are furthering your network. So let's say, for example, that Dorothy worked at Condé Nast, okay? The next week, the next month, the next whenever, you send Dorothy a separate email from the thank you note, and you say, hey, I saw this job posted on the Condé Nast job site, and you include the title of the job, hyperlinked to the page that you found it on, and especially the job ID number if there is one. And you write to Dorothy and you say, is there an opportunity for internal referrals and would you be willing to refer me? And then you attach your resume in a PDF. Oh my God. So asking people for internal referrals is a bigger topic that we'll tackle in another episode. However, this is the goal to be able to get to the email where you ask for a job. And you don't just ask for any job, you ask for a specific job within the company that that person works at that you scouted on the job board. Because just because I work at Discovery does not mean that I keep tabs on every single job that is open at Discovery. If my particular team has an opening, that's one thing. But if you wanted to go work on 
you know, research for motor trend, I might not know that that particular job is open, but I will know the person to email in order to get your resume into the right hands. As you can see now, there is a finesse to this and you will get better with time. I remember when I had my first informational interview. I was 19 and I didn't even know what an informational interview was. And I was interning at Madison Square Garden Networks at the time and someone knew someone who was a big shot at HBO. So they set up time for me to meet with him. I walked in dressed for an interview, thinking I was going on an interview and having no questions prepared. And that's okay. Clearly I was so, clearly I was so mortified that I was like, okay, well, that's never going to happen again. So how do I think about this step by step and move by move? We can all benefit from my embarrassment if this is what the result was. <laughs> If you're at all discouraged with your networking and you're thinking to yourself, why would someone want to talk to me? That goes back to my point about networking being circular. I'm generating a network that while there is an experience divide now, there will not be for long. So as someone who is 30 years old, talking to an audience in their young 20s, I have 10 if not 12 years experience on some of you guys. But I bet that by the time I hit 45 and I get laid off for some reason or another, you guys are going to be my peers. By then, you'll be managers. You'll be at, you know, whatever company. And you're going to remember how fucking helpful this was. And then you're going to do what you can to help me in return. And even if someone isn't approaching it as circular networking We're paying it forward. Someone did it for us, so fine, we'll do it for other people. Because remember, as long as the end result is what you want, who cares what the motivation is? If you're listening and you're one of the ladies that has been lucky enough to intern for me, you know that I demand as part of your internship that you do these informationals, you send your follow-ups, and you conduct them about once a week. And one of the ways that I keep tabs on my intern is that we set up a Google document that's a tracker where I can go check on their informational interview progress. And in that tracker, they include name, date, the title of the person that they met with, the person's email address, and then they put their notes into that document as well. And honestly, if my interns are really doing these informational interviews correctly, I only have to introduce them to maybe like three people because from those three people, they'll get introduced to nine more. I do want to say that the one per week goal is very aggressive. That goal is for my interns because conducting informational interviews is something that I make them do as part of their job. But just remember, the more meetings that you take, the more follow-ups you have to do. And if you're actively looking for a job, networking is just one of the many things that you need to be doing with your time. You also need to be sending applications. You also need to be conducting searches. So maybe once a week is a little bit aggressive in the midst of your job search. But what happens sometimes is that after we get that job, 
we're really bad at following up with people. So as much as it's important to master the first informational interview, it's very, very different to master the art of keeping in touch with your professional connections. My rule of thumb is that you should try to reconnect every six to eight months with someone who you really hit it off with in terms of networking. Because once that relationship is established, it becomes less formal and easier to upkeep. The more genuine of a connection, the more streamlined the communication. So a lot of the young women who I have mentored in the past We text each other now. We call each other. My favorite thing to do is to send them voice memos when they have more complicated questions. But no matter the means of communication that you're using to keep up with people, keep this in mind. If you're networking with someone who's older than you, of a different generation, you want to rise to meet the means of their communication. This is like when I have moments of temporary insanity and I match with like, 22-year-old men on Bumble, which I have no business doing, um, and they, like, want me to talk to them on Snapchat. Bitch, I'm 30 years old. You text me. So read the room, but do keep in mind that if people invite you to keep contact, they're not joking. They mean it. So if you are listening to this podcast from here on out for the rest of your life, personal and professional, you are not going to be one of those people who says what they don't mean. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking to you guys that take me on a date and then outside the restaurant say, I had such a great time. We should do this again. And then I never hear from you. Stop that. So if I tell someone that I'm networking with that they can call me or text me or email me again, I mean that. And usually when you're trying to network with people who are very successful, they're smart enough to mean what they say too. And if for any reason in either direction of the networking, someone isn't vibing, don't over offer yourself. Just say thanks so much for your time and I wish you luck. Of course, some of us have networking relationships that are in the middle of formal and very, very comfortable. So I like to advise that email is always a very acceptable way to keep in touch with people. We're going to always hit them with that thank you note. And from then on out, if any other emails are needed, we're going to keep them short and sweet. And that can also be very beneficial. Maybe if you do want to write something a little bit longer, let's start to normalize that not every email needs a response. Maybe you just wanted to update them. Maybe you wanted to let them know that you got a new job or that you graduated grad school or that you're about to release a podcast called Switching Majors and you hope that everybody listens to it and you're really excited about it. Often the communication that doesn't need an answer leaves the biggest impact. One thing that I really like to do is to write letters and send cards in the mail. I mean, the GM over at CBSNews.com knows damn right that I am going to, without fail, send her a holiday card every year. That's just who I am. And she, I hope, loves it. I, I mean, some of them have been very full of glitter, so she probably didn't like that. But honestly, this is my authentic self. And that's what people love to see. If you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you know that I love me some Brene Brown, and she has a quote from her research. People, people, people are just 
people, people, people. So I don't care if you're writing to the CEO of a company or to someone who just graduated college. If they had a milestone, if you're giving them a thought, they want to hear from you. And I know that that speaks volumes to them when they reflect on your note. So you're not just reaching out to your networking contacts with updates about yourself, but also congratulations is a circular thing as well. So if your networking contact got a new job, a new opportunity, or had a success, write an email. If they got married, if they had a baby, if they're continuing their education, if they got an award, if there was a particular company announcement that you thought was really interesting, if you caught something on LinkedIn, send an email. If you came across an article that was pretty interesting, an industry update that was pretty interesting, or if you read a book that that you think that they would like to, send an email. I'm always trying to better myself. If you're not learning, you're dying and all that. So I started taking Anna Wintour's masterclass, and I think I'm on episode like three or four, but she had some really great advice that I hadn't heard put as eloquently before. And it is don't abuse the time of your mentors. So she described how one of the fashion designers that she mentors doesn't really come to her with a lot of things. He's very calculated. And by the time that he's asking Anna a question, Anna says to herself, paraphrasing of course, oh shit. I should listen because he doesn't normally come to me with this stuff. And I like that advice so much that I wanted to be sure to include it in this episode. On a final note, when you are more experienced in your networking relationship, you get to set the tone. And I know it might seem far off now, but one day you'll be 30, you'll be 40, and you'll be a boss. And my boss, Tara from CBS, set a tone with me where I trusted her when I was working for her. I will respect her forever. And now I consider her not only a mentor figure, but a friend. And I took what Tara taught me and I applied it to the young people that were asking me for advice. Although I mentor a lot of people more than ever now with the podcast, there are a select few of individuals who have transcended the mentee label. So Karen, Lauren 1, Lauren 2, Sasha, Jenna. And now, even though these wonderful women are still so much younger than me, because like you are, we're friends. And And they're going to tell their friends about this podcast. And suddenly I'm going to be helping them and they're going to be helping me. And this is lifetime shit, people. So I'm not saying that everybody that you have an informational interview with is going to lead to this type of relationship. But there is sure as fuck that potential. So go in, be respectful, be professional, and make it happen. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Just to do my normal plug, I'm Mary Ellen. You can hit me up on my website at maryellenpesanello.com. You can email me. You can DM me. If you want to be one of those 23-year-old boys, you can try to Snapchat me. Probably won't work. But I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode, and I'll catch you next time on Switching Majors. Switching Majors.